1: Last week we had a vortex from Church Militant founder Michael Voris. This week we've got an interview with the Catholic Church's most outspoken layman. I think you'll enjoy it.
2: Hey, Michael Voris here, founder and CEO of Church Militant. Come on over to our website, churchmilitant.com, and get an honest view on all things inside and outside the Church. We are the fastest-growing Catholic media apostolate in the world, And we have one mission, and that is serving Catholics like you. We have daily discussion, commentary, and news to keep you informed. So what are you waiting for? Visit churchmilitant.com
1: today. Michael Voris is perhaps the greatest Catholic lay leader in the church today. He's completely unafraid of what people say and think about him. Even the few good bishops we have are afraid of Michael. Why? Because Michael will give no quarter to bishops and priests who don't do their jobs. He recognizes what few Catholics do, that we have an absolute right to the fullness of the faith from all the clergy on all levels all the time. Let's listen to Michael talk about that in an interview he and I did on April 14th. In this week's episode, we've been lucky enough to get Michael Voris of Church Militant on the show. He's busier than a three-legged dog scratching fleece, so I know what I mean when I say we're lucky. Uh, Michael, welcome to the Cantankerous Catholic.
2: Well, thank you very much, Mr. Cantankerous. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Michael, my questions are kind of like firing a sawed-off shotgun because they're all over the place. I didn't focus on any one thing because there are a whole bevy of things my six-pack family is interested in hearing from you about. So let's get started. Every single week, I get emails from listeners and readers who tell me they're going to leave the church. Among the reasons they often cite are the things you say about our bishops. Modern Catholics are so poorly catechized that I can understand their reasoning, but that doesn't make their reasoning right. What would you say to those in the six-pack family who might cite what you say about bishops as reason for leaving the church?
2: Three words. Jesus had Judas. To, you know, The other 11 apostles didn't leave Jesus. Well, they left him temporarily because they were afraid for their lives, but they didn't leave his teaching and his truth because of Judas. But even our blessed Lord had Judas. You know, It's interesting, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen, used to say that uh, it may have been perhaps part of the plan of divine providence that uh, it was one of our Lord's inner circle that betrayed him uh, so that in knowing that in future generations all the way right up to our current time that uh, the worst betrayals would be within the inner circle. You can't get much more inner circle than the office of bishop. And if you really look at the history of the church, every single heresy has begun with, with by a bishop or occasionally a priest, but it's all come from the ranks of the ordained. So just because there's bad members of the ranks of the ordained, uh, you know, the, of the clergy, isn't an excuse to leave the church. Uh, there is no excuse ever to leave the church. You know, the church is the mystical body of Christ on earth, and uh, the very fact that everybody's in it as in it sinners uh, here on earth, but because we're all sinners, that I mean, wh- exactly what other church are you going to go to, or other organization you're going to go to? Oh, it's perfect over there in Lutheran land, or the Episcopalians. Oh, they really got it going on. Nobody ever there ever sins. There's never anything you know horrible or rotten going on with the Methodists. So you know, to look at the human failings as horrible. And shameful as they are uh, within the ranks of the episcopate, the rank of the ranks of the bishops, to look at that and use that as an excuse to leave is, <clears throat> excuse me, is really a it's a disservice to truth. Again, Jesus had Judas, and if the other apostles didn't leave Jesus because of Judas, well, certainly nobody should be leaving our Lord. There are always going to be Judases. They're just always going to be Judases. There's always everybody sins. Some people love their sin. They embrace their sin. They make it part, a constituent part of who they are. It becomes sort of their identity. A person who is, you know, a bank robber or a mafia hitman, that becomes who they are, not just something they do. Everybody sins. So we all do something called sin, but some people so closely identify with their sin that it becomes them, and it's how they see themselves. Okay, well, there's people like that in the church sad, you know, they die, they go to hell, if they don't repent, and that's a horrible, awful thing. But that's not an excuse to leave the church because on the other side of the aisle, there are people who are truly holy or trying to become holier, working on their faith, working through, carrying their cross of whatever it might be. They could be trapped in a loveless marriage, and I say trapped because that's how many people feel when they're in that sort of situation. You know, they may have been cheated on, Against speaking of a marriage situation. They might have been cheated on. They may feel a loveless marriage. They may have great division between themselves and their children, particularly over matters of the faith, but it could be over anything. These are None of these are reasons to give up. They're just crosses to bear. You just throw down your cross and say, oh, that's it. I've had enough. Uh, everybody who has to struggle with the truth, and you know, I want to meet the person who, on earth. I want to meet the human who hasn't struggled with the truth of whatever it is. You know, the very first words or thought that we know from our Blessed Mother in uh, Luke's Gospel is, uh, you know, the angel comes and, you know, says, Hail, full of grace. And she says, uh, and she and it says she was greatly disturbed by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. That's the very first interior thought of our Blessed Mother that we know. And that's our Blessed Mother. and She didn't have any sin. And even she's kind of struggling with the truth there for a moment going, huh? What do you mean? Why are you calling me? Why are you giving me the salutation of a queen? I'm just some, you know, 15, 16-year-old, you know, whatever it was. We're not sure exactly, but very young. And then he goes on to say, you know, you'll conceive and bear a son. And she's like, what? I, I'm going to be virgin for my whole life. I, that's, I've, I've already done that. I've already made this commitment. How is this possible? So again, it's the truth. And that's an angel talking to her, telling her the truth, and she's struggling with it. So the idea that people struggle with truth... And that if the struggle gets really intense you just give up on the truth you know that's not an excuse there is no ever never an excuse for walking away from the truth there are plenty of excuses and reasons some of them good for struggling with the truth you know we have our fallen human nature and the truth is sometimes something that we find you know difficult to live with or whatever the case is but Jesus is the truth he himself said that so you can never walk away from the truth And if someone else around you walks away from the truth and lives in opposition to it, that's not an excuse for you to do it. I mean, that person dies and goes to hell, again, if they're unrepentant, always if they're unrepentant, you know, so do you just want to follow them there because they walked away from the truth? So literally, what the hell? I might as well walk away from it also. It doesn't make sense.
1: No, it doesn't at all. And I appreciate you giving a pretty detailed answer to this question because I Literally do get these questions every week, and I find myself having to, uh, oh, educate Catholics on the ninth article of the creed every week. So, Michael, with the exception of Archbishop Nauman, and perhaps a couple of other bishops, there were none of them speaking out prior to the election about Biden's pro-death agenda. Then after the election, the bishops almost seemed to moan in a massive voice, almost in surprise that Biden was betraying the Church's moral teachings on life. The Six Pack family would really be interested in hearing your thoughts about this.
2: Uh, There's an Irish word term, uh, or it may not be Irish, but the Irish use it a lot. It's called wastrels. It really means sort of worthless human beings that would be my assessment of most of the US episcopate the completely worthless to have said nothing to have abdicated this isn't a question of politics this is a question that has a political uh, is expressed in a political reality but it's the moral truth uh, that is the is an issue here and for these for these men in this office, and I say worthless, not meaning they they have no worth in the eyes of God. I'm talking about their bishops. And if they're not doing their job, well, then they are worth less in the world of being a bishop. Just like if you have a surgeon who can't perform surgery, well, then he's a worthless surgeon. If you have a uh, you know a bus driver, a, a pilot who can't fly a plane, well, then he's a worthless pilot. Well, these men are worthless. They're worthless human beings in the sense that, you know, they... Uh, All of the jobs on earth, they have the most important job. We Catholics who are faithful Catholics actually hold the job of the bishop in higher regard than the bishops themselves. So to sit there and have said nothing, nothing about the slaughter of 65, whatever it is now, million children, and that's just surgical abortions and that's just in the united states and that's just since 1973 to just say nothing about that and as you rightly point out to all of a sudden be like oh my gosh he's actually in favor of abortion we didn't know that oh that's awful you know i'm sorry i know some bishops praised the statement by uh usccb us united states conference of catholic bishops um uh, President uh, Jose Gomez of LA. Uh, yeah, did he say nice things? Sure. said so, Yeah, good things. You know, why, why are you saying it on Inauguration Day? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Look, they understand what side their bread is buttered on. They understand they don't want to tick off the establishment powers, the political powers. Many of them are in bed with those powers. They don't want to do anything that upsets their apple cart. They're getting probably at this point hundreds of millions of dollars from the U.S. government to handle the big massive overflow of the illegal immigration going on on the southern border. Uh, we' just got a phone call from somebody today in Texas who told us that the uh, the Dallas Catholic the Diocese of Dallas Catholic Charity Center has now been set up uh, to for processing all these well, they're getting rent for that. They're not opening the doors and paying nothing, getting paid nothing. You know, they've got priests in there ministering to all, I mean there's there's hundreds of unaccompanied minors in there, you know that have come over. so what happened to all the virtues training? Uh, really? So how do you know the priests that are in there, you know, aren't doing something to these kids? Uh, you don't know that. You don't. You don't know that. So, you know, is there somebody in there? Is there a team of lawyers sitting in there watching, making sure nothing's going on? Who's paying for all of that? Well, the federal government's paying for all of it. So this pretense, and it is a pretense, that they care about poor and the poverty, my foot. They care about the huge, huge government largess they get from pretending to care about the poor and taking care of poverty and all of this sort of stuff. You know, so, yeah, I think this is why they say something about abortion after the fact. You know, all of the bishops at various points, many of them right now in the current year, for example, here in Detroit, they've got a $190 million campaign going on. The Archdiocese of New York has a $200 million campaign going on. Gomez has a $500 million campaign going on. There are these hundreds of millions of dollars of fundraising campaigns going on all over the country. And... I, I've seen that statement of Gomez's and I look at it as kind of a duplicitous statement. I think its aim is not really to encourage, you know, Biden to come to the table on abortion. First of all, that's not going to happen. They know it. Everybody knows it. God knows it. Everybody knows it. That man is not going to retreat on abortion. As a matter of fact, he's ramped up. He stepped on the gas with regard to abortion and he'll die in that state. God can be his judge, but we can certainly judge his actions, and they're evil, wicked, reprehensible. He'll murder children to stay in power, to keep his power, to keep his hands on his money and everything else. He's a, he's a modern-day King Herod, just like Obama was. And the bishops know that as well. They know that. So why would they issue this statement looking stupid? Because they do look stupid. You know, Oh, my gosh, you're in favor of abortion. That's not very good, and that kind of violates some Catholic principles. It violates the law of God. That's what it violates. It violates the law of God and robs those children of their existence, their earthly existence. So, yeah, to come out and pretend now, I think it's just a great big huge smoke screen after the fact, once the horse is out of the barn, to make sure that people uh, see them as, Oh, look, my bishop really cares about abortion. He didn't care about abortion when it mattered. He cares about abortion only to the regard that he makes. He wants to make you think he really cares about abortion, so you'll give him money in his hundreds of millions of dollars campaign. They're phony as hell, and and they need to be treated that way. They're phony as hell.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think you can probably count the uh, number of good bishops in this country on one hand.
2: <laughs> you can probably count them on one finger.
1: <laughs> well, no, I I actually know a few who are, Pretty good. I, they're they're not necessarily uh, my cup of tea in everything they do, but at least they stand up. Seventy years ago, they would have been considered also rands, but today they're considered exceptional. <laughs> That's yeah. sad.
2: Isn't that sad. Yeah, we're celebrating a bishop who actually stands up and says abortion's a bad thing, and it makes headlines all over the Catholic world. That's you know the next thing we'll have a, a we'll be doing headlines on a story of a bishop who actually believes in God bishop comes out and defends god
1: <laughs> you're right i i i believe you're right which uh, actually is my,
2: probably the case because i'm telling you i don't think that, i don't think you i don't think any of your listeners any of your viewers should assume for one moment that every single bishop in the united states believes in god i i don't oh believe no. that i don't believe that no if they believe, ble- if they believe in god and act like this they're going to be in for one hell of a rude awakening when they die
1: at best, I think most of them are practical atheists, at yeah. best. Yeah, I think so. So, uh, Michael, mass-attending Catholics are sick and tired of the bishops not teaching the faith, not standing up to lead and fight for what's right, covering up for miscreant priests, constantly sticking their hands in our pockets, and a bevy of other things. Obviously, we need lots of prayers from the faithful to combat this. But we also need to follow St. Ignatius' maxim to pray as if everything depends on God, but work as if everything depends on us. What would you recommend to concerned Catholics for them to do?
2: Well, I mean, obviously we pray. Every, every rosary we pray uh, here at the Apostle, we include in for you know the intentions of uh, you know having the bishops come back to the faith. I mean, it's kind of odd to even say that, but that's what it is. <laughs> Uh, But in the meantime, Catholics need to get out and protest in front of the chanceries, not just click on some website somewhere and sign a petition. That's pointless. It does nothing. You know, 380, I think it was, it might be off by 10,000 or so, but 380,000 Catholics around the country signed a petition when Obama went to Notre Dame, an online petition, 380,000. And Obama went to Notre Dame and gave his speech and, you know, got Our Lady's honors draped all over him and turned around and left, did nothing. Petitions do nothing. They accomplish nothing. Websites that post petitions post petitions because it's a secret way. They want to get you all angry and fired up and, and accomplish two things. One, have you click on it to make you think that you've done something you haven't. Uh, and to get your email address so they can later on send you things to, you know, get you to give them money. Uh, That's all a petition is. Click on this online petition. Click on that online. They don't do anything. You need to physically get off your couch, get with other Catholics, and go down the street, downtown, wherever it is, and get in front of the priest's parish, get in front, you know... Know your facts, learn the stuff. The church has to be turned around, and only the laity can do it because the hierarchy is absolutely corrupt. It is thoroughly corrupt. The hierarchy does not have the constituent element within itself to reform. And that's what people need to understand. You know, one bishop will be gone, like this Michael Heppner loser in Crookston, Minnesota, who, you know, just had to step down yesterday because he finally got, you know, the. Long arm of the law, of canon law, finally caught up to him. But, uh, you know, he's giving himself, he's throwing himself a mass tomorrow, he's celebrating, you know, he's, he's a mass of Thanksgiving for me. And then he's leaving, and he said, oh, I'll come back, he has a little statement. He said, oh, I'll come back to Crookston after I go down and live with my sister in a nice warm climate, and I'll, you know, I'll come back to Crookston and visit every now and then here and there. I'm like, <laughs> wow, talk about a sociopath. Uh, they just don't have it within themselves. Why isn't every bishop in the country on the phone with him saying, Hey Mike are you crazy? What are you doing? Do you, do you realize how this looks you got you had to resign because you covered up sexual abuse and then you victimized the victim all over again by threatening him and it all got caught on deposition and on videotape it got played out to the whole world you need to just leave no no bishop no I can guarantee you there's no bishop in America picking up the phone calling him saying it's a bad idea if you'd offer that mass tomorrow. In the cathedral, this is a big public event. You offer mass, obviously. You do it private in your room and then leave. These are uh, if Catholics don't organize, and it was a big organization around the victim in Crookston, for example. His name's Ron Vasek, great guy, great tenacious, real fighter. And the whole diocese chose up sides for essentially three years. Some not believing the victim, some be oh, the bishop said it, so it must be true. Take the bloody blinders off your eyes, Catholic lady. Take the blinders off your eyes. The men are liars. They don't believe the Catholic faith. These bishops do not believe the Catholic faith. And what few of them do believe this and that about it, and maybe this part and all that. But, well, we kind of need to downplay this. They just won't come out. If you're looking for saints among the bishops, you'll go blind because they don't exist. And uh, even the ones that you would consider good, really sort of, you know, they kind of back down and they shy away and they're not quite as forceful as they should be because, well, somebody's going to say this about my words or whatever. Just say whatever needs to be done. If you get removed from Rome, well, so what? You get removed from Rome. I mean, you know, Jesus doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you, Joe. He doesn't need anybody. You know, you need to do the truth. What he does need is for you to do the truth so you'll be saved. That's it. What happens, happens. So, yeah, Catholics have to understand they need to hit the streets. They need to stay informed on what's going on in their diocese, across the board, and in the church at large. And they need to organize and get out into the streets. They need to stand in front of these crooked gay priests' parishes, take little flyers and pass them out that have all the information on about, here's what fathers said, did, blah, 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 put them on people's windshields, stick them in their door handles at Mass, uh, the car door handles at mass. stand out there. Uh, you know go to the chancery, Call the local papers, tell them hey this bishop is 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 taking money from this fund or whatever. You need to form and form local organizations. We do this a little bit with our church militant resistance. Uh, cells that we have in uh, many of the dioceses all over the country. But you need to get information, you need to understand, you have to organize, and there really is no way to do this half-heartedly. I mean, I do have to say this. There's no way to do this half-heartedly. It has to become sort of your life's mission. Now, obviously, that means different things for different people in their given circumstances. If you've got a young family, well, obviously, that's your life's mission. But it doesn't mean you can't help in some way with this. You may not be the one who's able to organize it because you know you have young children, and that's your vocation. But there's a difference between somebody's vocation and somebody's mission. Uh, Have you uh, banded together? Have you located other Catholics in your parish or neighboring parishes? Who are upset that the bishop is closing this parish and this parish happens to have a two or three million dollar endowment with it, which he's going to pocket when he closes the parish? Are you communicating this sort of thing to other people? Are you making a scene? Are you calling local newspapers and telling them, hey, the bishop is doing this or hey, this priest is accused of whatever? I mean, there's a priest who's just accused of a sex abuse cover up, uh, an auxiliary bishop who just in, uh, I believe it was in Cincinnati. Uh, I might be wrong on that, uh, but somewhere in the Midwest, just yesterday, I believe it was, and just announced that, hey, he just got assigned the pastorship of two parishes. I'm like, what? What? So it, the problem is with most Catholics, most Catholics don't know the faith. Most Catholics accept divorce, contraception, gay marriage, abortion, everything else. So you got to understand you're dealing with an, uh, with a small number to begin with. And it's always going to be a small number. And then within that small number, there are people, aside from the matters of the faith, speaking just of the human personalities. There are people like, oh, I'm I'm not really a person who likes to get involved in controversy. Well, I I that's not really my style to stand out and hold a sign. Well, I I don't want. I think there might be a more charitable way. Maybe we should go talk to them first. And they just it's like. You, you, you need to get a good shot you need a vaccine of truth like the size of a bazooka loaded into your arm the men do not believe the faith they don't believe the faith it's a money making institution for them that lets them have people fawn over them because oh he's the bishop or isn't father so nice it's not true no first of all he's not nice and second of all you have more respect for the office of that bishop than the bishop does so you need to get out, organize, locate other Catholics, you know, start social media groups, you know, what's, ask what's going on in your diocese, demand to see the financials of the parish. How's the money being spent? Who's in charge of it? Who's teaching in your local seminary? Is that guy a liberal? Does that guy teach like, you know, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead? Uh, you got some crazy liberal lesbian nun in there, ex-nun, who's, you know, teaching that, well, you know, men are, men are kind of toxic. Uh, you know, what's going on in that? What's going on inside your church? And we've turned it over to, essentially, a group of hapless women who are disguised as biological males. And that's it. And that isn't an insult to women, because femininity in a woman is a beautiful thing. Femininity in a man is a revolting thing. And that's what we have. We have feminine men running the church. And they must be challenged at every single moment. Opportunity, they must be challenged. If you're standing in a parish or at your parish and the priest's standing up there in the pulpit and he says anything even closely related to, well, that doesn't seem right, you need to go up and challenge him. You go up and challenge him. You just say, Father, that's not right. That's not what the church teaches. Or you said that in a really horrible way. Or, Father, how come you're not telling people if you haven't been to confession or if, you, if you've missed Mass or you haven't been to confession and you're aware of you know, serious sin, don't you dare approach this altar and commit a, a sacrilege and receive Holy Communion. Father, why aren't you teaching that? You should need to say that, Father, given the state of the poor catechesis of virtually every Catholic walking around, even in good parishes. You need to say that, Father, because if you don't say that, and they come up here ignorantly receiving our Lord's body and blood in Holy Communion, and you haven't warned them, well, their sin is on you, Father. You just say this kind of stuff to them. I don't care what the reaction is. Let them think you're crazy or nutty. Who cares? I think they're crazy and nutty. Good. Okay, let's move on. We both think each other's crazy and nutty. Now let's talk about the truth.
1: I, Michael, I'm glad you brought up the thing about masculinity and femininity, because 61% of my listeners are Catholic men between the ages of 18 and 34, which is really pretty exceptional for something like what I do. But, so you're I'm like 24, you right?
2: Aren't you like, you're 23 or 24 yourself, aren't you, Joe? Is that right, I think?
1: <laughs> I missed Vietnam by a month. Oh, that's a- <laughs> <laughs> So... You mentioned Church Militant Resistance. For listeners who want to find out more about that, how do they do that?
2: Just go to the webpage, churchmilitant.com, and there's a little resistance thing. Just click on it, and there it is. All the information comes up right there.
1: Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Because I'm sure my listeners would like that. Michael, I actually had a Catholic tell me recently that she was surprised and amazed when I said that Notre Dame University hasn't been Catholic in any way for more than 50 years. What do you say about Notre Dame, and are there any Catholic schools you'd recommend?
2: Uh, Well, yeah, first of all, you're wrong about Notre Dame. Probably hasn't been Catholic in 60 years. You know, in any meaningful way, no. I mean, are there students at Notre Dame who believe the faith and come from solid Catholic homes. And by solid, I mean those who believe the faith and teach the faith. And those students arrive on campus aware of church teaching, believing church teaching, trying to live church teaching, like all of us falling from time to time, but you know whatever, still trying to do it. Yes, of course there are. I I, I don't have any way of putting a percentage on that. I would say it's the minority, uh, probably a decided minority, because it would only stand to reason that the since most Catholics don't attend Mass, uh, most baptized Catholics don't attend Mass, except for Christmas, Easter, and a funeral, you know, to marry or bury somebody, that their children, likewise, uh, are of the same mind, if they are even that Catholic. And that young generation winds up on campus at Notre Dame and are surrounded by a majority of like-minded 18-, 19-, 20-year-olds you know, they may have some kind of nostalgic plug-in. You know, they see the statue of Our Lady, or they think going lighting a candle makes them Catholic. And lighting a candle at the grotto, and you know, they've got these sort of socially cultural identity markers of Catholicism at Notre Dame. You know, the statue of Our Lady on the dome, uh, touchdown Jesus, and you know, and uh, you know, little kind of ha ha moments here and there, again that are just all sort of socially culturally Catholic you know, the football team says a prayer before it runs out on the field, that kind of thing. But, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the belief, the faith. Is it, is the faith really there? Do these, do these kids believe that, uh, having sex with each other is actually a sin? You know, no, there's a program at Notre Dame. I was actually astounded to find out about it's, it's, uh, Not funded by, but uh, supported by uh, Planned Parenthood. But there's a number on campus, telephone number on campus that you can dial uh, if you find yourself in a uh, sexual situation where somebody within five minutes from another point on campus will rush over to your room and hand you a condom. And that's at Notre Dame. And Father Jenkins knows about that. Never says a word about it. Pretends that Notre Dame is Catholic. Part of the difficulty in talking about this is when you say Catholic, well, what do you mean? Well, on the cultural iconic level, yeah, Notre Dame's Catholic. There's priests walking around campus. They have a seminary. There's statues. There's a big basilica on campus. There's a grotto where you can go light candles, all of those things that we've talked about. Every dorm has a chapel. Uh, There's mass inside every dorm chapel uh, every Sunday. Some of them have them daily or, you know, uh, more frequently than Sunday. But again, I mean, we have that out here in Catholic non-university land. How many people who are attending actually believe what the church teaches? Well, that question presupposes that they know what the church teaches. Uh, In order to believe something, you have to be aware of it. If you've never even been made aware of it, well, how can you accept or reject it? You don't even know it exists so you can't have it is you know it's interesting interesting poll that Pew poll that was published i believe it was late last year summer of last year maybe early fall sometime kind of around the campaign season getting hot and heavy i believe it was said 70% of catholics american catholics don't believe in the church's teaching on the real presence 70% <laughs> that's astounding but when it went into those 70% and did a breakdown of it they found that of the 70% Half, 35%, didn't know what the church's teachings on transubstantiation were. And the other half, 35% of the 70%, the other half of them said they knew it, but they rejected it. So you've got 30% who, I mean, roughly, break it down, 30%, a third of Catholics understand or know what the church's teaching is and believe it. 30%, a third of them Know and reject it, and the other third don't know. Uh, I mean, could you find a more damning statement against the U.S. hierarchy than those numbers? No. Right. And since the Eucharist is the source and summit of the faith, I mean, everything else comes because of that. So if you either know and reject or don't know, in the real presence, believe in the real presence, well why would you ever go to confession except to maybe make yourself feel good? Why would you go to confession? You go go to confession so you can be restored to a state of grace so that you can receive Holy Communion. But if to you holy communion isn't anything except a piece of bread, well then why would you why in your mind would you connect Holy Communion, reception of Holy Communion, with going to confession? There's no if this isn't Jesus, this doesn't make sense. Likewise, what's the point of baptism? The point of baptism is to, you know, uh, ultimately is to be able to receive Holy Communion. I mean, yes, you come into the church and you know, you're children of God, and you know your original sin is wiped away and all that. But that's just the beginning stage to be able to get you to the point where you're able to receive Holy Communion and participate in the other sacraments. If you're not baptized, the church has no jurisdiction over you. So you, heard the sacraments of the church aren't available to you. The church can't offer them to you because the church doesn't have anything to do with you in that sense sacramentally. You're not within the purview of the church, within the embrace of the church sacramentally. So if you don't believe in the real presence, none of the other sacraments have any meaning either. That's why of the seven sacraments, the Eucharist, we call the Blessed Sacrament. It's singular It is above the other sacraments because it is Christ himself. It isn't just some thing that is like Christ. It is Christ. And because it is Christ, all the other sacraments flow from it and come back to it. Why is a priest ordained? The sacrament of holy orders. Why is a priest ordained? So he can get closer to God? Well, there's plenty of lay people around who are much closer to God than lots of priests and bishops and cardinals and pope even. So you don't need to be ordained in order to be close to God. You're ordained to be a priest so that you can forgive, uh, absolve sins, and offer the sacrifice of the Mass. That's why you're ordained. So again, even the priesthood, every single sacrament you've got is to prepare you to be able to receive Holy Communion. Because that when you die, that the the, uh, the sacramental veil of bread and wine Goes away, doesn't exist anymore, because now you're hopefully in the direct presence of Almighty God, unveiled. But you know, if that, so you see all this stuff. And I ask you, if I said all this, let's say some group at Notre Dame, some student group at Notre Dame, invited me down there and said, "Hey, Boris, you know, come down for a football weekend, and you know, the Friday before, we're going to have you talk to you know, whatever, hundred students." Can you imagine if I said all this to a hundred students at Notre Dame? Their heads would explode. They had. They've never heard this. Some of them would have, you know, roughly thirty of them would have. The other seventy would go. That Boris guy's out of his mind. And again, I don't really care what they think about me. I mean, this is the church's teaching. But you can't say the church is out of her mind. I, I will admit that. Yes, many times I am out of my mind. Uh, but uh, you can't say that of the church. And that's what's that's what's going on here. And it's really. Uh, it's horrible. So yeah, Notre Dame is, Notre Dame is completely fouled up in every possible way you can imagine. They push Planned Parenthood, they push, uh, they push all the gay sex stuff, uh, they push, you know, uh, contraception. I mean, how in any substantial, substantive, I should say, substantive way is that Catholic? And somehow it's all kind of baptized because there's a statue of our Lord, sacred heart of our Lord, kinda hanging around on the God quad, so all of a sudden we're all Catholic? You're not Catholic. You know, Catholic is Catholic is a way of living. It is you know it, this is why the word when you say something is Catholic, you really have to be like, well what do you mean by that? Do you mean there's a bunch of statues hanging around? Do you mean you believe this stuff? Do you mean you're you believe it so much you're actually trying to live in an accord with it? And these, you know, heretical Marxist bishops and priests and things get to sort of fly under the radar uh, and avoid detection, at least they've been able to up until recently, Uh, they've been able to avoid detection specifically because what we mean when we say something is Catholic has been sort of deliberately left very vague and very ambiguous and it means different things to different people. So for the social justice warrior at Notre Dame, who doesn't accept one moral teaching of the church whatsoever, doesn't accept any of the sacramental theology, but you know they'll go out and you know march in a Black Lives Matter thing in Chicago and come back to campus, and they'll think they've done something Catholic. Uh, they haven't done anything Catholic, they haven't done anything Catholic, and that's not because it's BLM, that's because. They reject, every day they get up, they reject the faith. They are living in a continual state of having rejected the faith, rejecting the faith. I woke up to bed, I got up, and yes, here I am, stretching in my morning stretch, rubbing the sleep out of my eyes, and I am currently rejecting the Catholic faith. So, you're not Catholic. You're baptized Catholic. So, yes, on the books you are a Catholic, But it's like saying, you know, if you were to say something about Americans, well, I mean, is Nancy Pelosi an American? Well, yeah, she was born in America. Is Joe Biden an American? Well, again, if your definition is where did you emerge from the womb, what land were you in when you emerged from the womb? Well, yeah, Nancy Nancy and Schumer and Biden and the whole lot of them, they're American. But if you expand and give a much more encompassing definition of what it is to be American. Well, those three, and millions of others of them, are communists. They're walking around communists who fly under the radar because they get to talk about, oh, the American way of life. You mean the way of life you guys are politically trying to explode and destroy? That's the same thing in the church. So, you know, people have to see these parallels. When somebody says, I'm blah... If the if it can be vague, vaguely, deliberately misunderstood, well, you better be very clear. Well, what do you mean by that? You say you're Catholic, what do you mean by that? Oh, really? So you believe in the real presence, okay? Two out of three of them are going to tell you, no, they don't. So they're not Catholic.
1: Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I appreciated that you mentioned about living uh, a Catholic life, because as a convert, Lived Catholicism, to me, is the most exciting life experience a person can have. I really believe that. Michael, since the lady mentioned in the previous question graduated from Notre Dame within the last 50 years, I think she's further evidence that Catholics haven't been taught the faith for 70 years. When you and I spoke on the phone a few months ago, I mentioned that at least 95% of Catholics don't know the faith. You responded that I was being entirely too generous. By the way, Terry Barber agreed with you about that on on the show a few weeks ago. Anyway, what do you have to say to my family about the ignorance of the laity? What is it they need to do? Well,
2: you mean as far as self-instruction, or what do you mean precisely?
1: Well, I mean overcoming their ignorance. I most people are not going to sit down and read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's not much better reading than the documents of Vatican II. Right. They're yawners. okay? That's true. So, the average person is not going to do that. What do you think they need to do?
2: Well, I think the very first step is having is, is coming to a realization that you actually are ignorant. You know, again, if you don't know your... I mean, you don't know what you don't know. So... To trigger that sort of first domino to fall, because you're talking ultimately about evangelization. So to trigger the first domino, that becomes incumbent on faithful Catholics who understand the faith. You can't absolutely you, 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 if you, you can't leave somebody in ignorance. And, and I actually let me say that differently. You can't leave someone in their ignorance. Not just ignorance as some concept, but their ignorance. You have to tell them that there's stuff they don't know. And if if that isn't proposed to them right out of the box, then, nothing's, then there isn't anything. Why would I, as somebody who's ignorant, walk around and go, gee, I wonder if there's something I don't know about this that maybe I should go find out about? Why, why would that thought ever occur to you unless outside force grace actual grace somebody's praying for you you don't know it but even there you're still doing something something is being done for you just me sitting here in the little world myself here i am La la i know nothing about catholicism or i you know i think i know a little bit about it and i don't even know if i know that about it and quite frankly i don't really care you know it's nice they have nice buildings they have nice art you know bishop Barron has a nice little series on you know beautiful stained glass windows whoop-dee-doo okay that's nice uh, and you know where are the uh, where are the Detroit Tigers playing tonight? Who are they playing tonight? That's it. so if if something, some outside force doesn't say, "Hey, smack, you're ignorant. Why would I know I'm ignorant?" And this is what makes the this is what makes the work of evangelization so important. And what the church has done over the church leaders have done in the past 65 years is really put into place a reverse evangelization, a reverse evangelization program, an anti evangelization program. Because what you've done instead of, you know, drawing people into the church uh, and evangelizing them and catechizing them more and more and forming them to go out into the world. You've actually brought the world in here and let the pool just shrink and shrink and shrink down to essentially nothing. I mean, just a small handful of people. And the, everybody else who was sort of in the gap, people who are in the church, in the church, meaning some sort of passing association with it, well, they think they're Catholic. They, they think... Yeah. They're, 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 why wouldn't they think they're Catholic? I mean, honestly, why wouldn't somebody who hasn't been to you know, who goes to Mass, I don't know, five, six, seven times a year, just because whatever, and uh, yeah, I guess I should just go to Mass today, because they have some sort of intuition that religion is, you know, probably better than a neutral thing, uh, and maybe it's raining today, so our golf game's canceled, so ah, what the hell, I guess I'll just go to church. If, uh, you know, they do that, I don't know, five, six, seven times a year, besides Christmas and Easter, what, why would that person not think they're Catholic? That, that, that they are Catholic enough. Why would they ever... They're not going to hear it from the priest in the pulpit. They're not going to hear it from the people sitting around them in the pews because they're just as ignorant as they are. They're not going to hear it from their family because they're just as ignorant as they are, probably worse. So who is going to tell them what they don't know? Nobody. And so you know the institutional part of the church, the clergy, the seminaries, the houses of formation, the religious houses... Uh, the priests, the bishops, they don't hear it from them. And then from the laity, they don't hear it either. Why wouldn't somebody who just goes to Mass every now and then think, I'm going to go up and get my piece of bread? And yeah, it's nice. And, you know, oh, hey, uh, you know, I was going to go to Mass today, but hey, it looks like the weather changed and it's actually going to be a nice day. So, I mean, hey, Charlie, you want to go golf? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I just set up a tea time for us at seven. We'll be done by noon. They didn't get the thought of going to Mass and breaking the commandments and it just doesn't even enter their head. So why would it? There's a story along these lines that uh, Pope John Paul uh, was sitting with uh, some American bishops at dinner on one of their odd limina visits. That's a visit that uh, every five years uh, all the bishops in the world, over the course of a five year stretch, all the bishops of the world, most of them go to Rome uh, and meet with the Holy Father and the whole cycle starts over again. So you do it every fifth year. Well there was a time uh, when a group, I think it was twenty or thirty, if I remember the story correctly, uh, of American bishops are sitting with John Paul, and they raised something of this very discussion you and I are having right now, and they said to him, uh, "Your Holiness, uh, you know, we think that uh, the number of Catholics in America, the number of Catholics, uh, will most will probably be saved because they just don't know the faith." And John Paul answered back to them, "Well, that may or may not be the case, but." Uh, but you'll be damned for them not knowing it. And from what I understand, I wasn't there. But from what I understand from those who were, uh, it was a very awkward dinner. The rest of the way,
1: <laughs> I'm sure it was. You know, Michael, I I know that for premium members of Church Militant, you've got uh, a number of videos in uh, of instruction about the faith. Yes, uh, and I on uh, every week I do. A webinar called Sharing the Catholic Faith, and it, it grows every week. And the one thing that I push that you really kind of brought out is rather than focus so much on the corporal works of mercy, which everybody seems to know, I focus on a, two of the spiritual works of mercy, and that's admonishing the sinner and instructing the ignorant. Catholics are every bit as obliged to do those as they are the corporate works of mercy, and I try to get that home to them every week. Yeah. You know, I made it clear on this show that I'm willing to fight for this country, even from my wheelchair, because the military oath I took doesn't have an expiration date. Right. Of course, patriotism is a virtue, and I have little doubt that 2021 is the year that we'll see a second civil war where we'll again have to defend our nation, only this time from communism. Michael, you're clearly a patriot. You believe in our nation and the Constitution above everything except the Catholic Church, which is as it should be. If I'm right about things blowing up this year, what would be your best advice to my listeners? Get a lot of ammunition. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's good. I want to ask you, though, now... I know that my listeners are going to love this interview, and I love listening to you speak, too. I, that, you're so easy to interview. It's kind of like pointing a, a, pointing a remote at a television. You, you you just want to change subjects, you just hit the button. <laughs> you just go.
2: So it'd be the gift of being a big-mouth Irishman,
1: that's what that is. <laughs> well, but you're a good big-mouth Irishman, and we appreciate it. Would you consider coming back on the show at some point in the future? Well, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I love that. I appreciate that. My listeners would love it. Michael, we've kept you in, uh, much longer than I planned to, so we're going to say goodbye today and thank you very much for being on the Cantankerous Catholic.
2: Well, thank you very much, Cantankerous. Uh my pleasure. I appreciate the effort.
1: <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Michael and I first met in Kansas City nine years ago. At that time, Church Militant was only six years old, and both Michael Voris and Church Militant were pariahs in Catholic circles. A lot of very good Catholic lay leaders saw him as a pariah, and one well-known apologist had warned me to stay away from Voris. Frankly, I was afraid to be associated with him, based on what this apologist said to me. However, I believe now that Michael was a decade ahead of everybody else. He saw then what's happening now. We all owe a debt of gratitude to Michael Voris and Church Militant. Although promoting Church Militant actually risks a loss of listeners and donors to the cantankerous Catholic, I can't strongly enough recommend that you join Church Militant as a premium member. It's only 10 bucks a month. If I can afford it, you can afford it because I'm probably one of the poorest laypersons doing what I'm doing. Why do I intentionally risk losing listeners and donors to Church Militant? Well, it's because we're all on the same team. It doesn't matter who gets the credit for anything as long as we all promote the truth of Jesus Christ. You'll find a link to Church Militant in my show notes. I hope you become a premium member. But I also hope you continue to listen to the cantankerous Catholic. God love you.
2: Hey, Simon Rafe here, Chief of Staff at Church Militant. Come on over to our website, churchmilitant.com and get an honest view of all things going on inside and outside the Church. We're the fastest growing Catholic media apostolate in the world, and we have one mission, and that is serving Catholics like you. We have daily discussion, commentary, and news to keep you informed. So what are you waiting for? Visit ChurchMoulton.com
0: today. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five.
1: Hats off to the Daily Wire. Former Senate Democratic Leader Harry Reid warned President Biden about trying to pack the Supreme Court with additional justices. We better be very, very careful in saying that we need to expand the Supreme Court. I think we better be very, very careful, Reid said. That's what I'm talking about. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic
0: Catholic News Pick Pick Number number 4
1: Hats off to the Catholic vote. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida signed a new bill that allows citizens victimized by riots to sue governmental officials for failing to protect them or their property. The bill also strengthens penalties for rioting. If you riot, you are going to jail, DeSantis said. If you assault law enforcement in a violent assembly, you are definitely going to jail. Yes. Yeah! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic
0: Catholic News Pick Number
1: number 3 Hats off to the Detroit News. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer traveled to Florida to visit her father despite recently admonishing residents of her state not to visit Florida. Michigan lawmaker Thomas Albert noted that Whitmer's strict lockdown measures prevented people from visiting their parents like she did in Florida. I understand the desire to visit an ill relative, and I hope for good health for the governor's family, but I have heard countless stories of heartbroken Michiganers who wanted to visit sick family members during this pandemic and haven't been able to do so, Albert said. Why, you no-good, stinking, rotten rascal! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic
0: Catholic News Pick Number number 2
1: Hats off to the Daily Wire. College of the Ozarks, a very good school, by the way, is suing President Biden over so-called anti-discrimination executive order that requires private religious colleges to place biological males into female dormitories and assign them as females' roommates. The private Christian school in Missouri said that religious freedom is under attack from the Biden administration. College of the Ozarks will not allow politicians to erode the essential American right or the ideals that shaped the American founding, said Dr. Jerry Davis, the school's president.
0: Hip, hip, hooray!
1: You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes.
0: Catholic, Catholic News Pick, Pick number, number one.
1: 1. Hats off to Catholic News Agency. Bishop Alfred Schlert of Allentown, Pennsylvania, has declared a year of the real presence from Divine Mercy Sunday on April 11 to the Solemnity of Corpus Christi on June 19, 2022. Bishop Schlert said it was his obligation to help the faithful live out the Paschal mystery of Christ by leading lives of holiness, promoting the growth of the Church, and contributing to the sanctification of the world.
0: Oh, I love it!
1: You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair!
0: It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your Drill Sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack.
1: In A.D. 177, St. Cecilia was accused of being a Christian during one of the great Roman persecutions, and she was taken before the prefect. The pagan prefect's threats against Cecilia failed to weaken her love for Christ. Answering his threats, Cecilia said, Do you not know that I am a bride of my Lord Jesus Christ? Cecilia's answer infuriated the prefect, so he sentenced her to death by suffocation. She was placed day and night in a hot air bath, heated seven times its usual temperature. Reminiscent of the three Israelites that King Nebuchadnezzar had tossed into the fiery furnace in Daniel 3, the heat never bothered the saint's body at all. Since Saint Cecilia couldn't be killed in the heated bath, the prefect sent an executioner to behead her. Under Roman law, the executioner could only strike his victim with the sword three times then he had to give up. The executioner was so impressed with her holiness and demeanor, and knowing it was wrong to kill her, his trembling hands kept him from severing her head in the allotted three blows of the sword. Cecilia was left where she lay, alive but mortally wounded. Cecilia lay in the same position, head half-severed and fully conscious for three days. Since she couldn't talk, the young martyr used her hands to give her testimony of her beliefs. Three fingers on her left hand and one finger on her right hand were set forward as proof of her faith in the truth that there is only one God in three divine persons. The Christian community buried Saint Cecilia just as they had found her. Around the year A.D. 300, her body was exhumed to be placed in a more honorable location. She was found in the very same position in which she had died, and she was discovered totally incorrupt, a not uncommon miracle of God that preserved her body as if she had just died. By the way, more than 100 saints in history have been found to be uncorrupt and looking just like they did when they died, without the benefit of having been embalmed. St. Cecilia's testimony of the Trinity is a stark contrast to the way we think and believe today. The Holy Trinity is the greatest mystery of our faith, so in this cynical culture that essentially adheres to practical atheism, we shouldn't be surprised. Of course, because the Trinity is the greatest mystery of our faith, it's also easy to understand why people don't believe in our Trinitarian God. Frankly, I never could grasp the concept of the Trinity until I began studying our holy and ancient faith and I've yet to meet a single non-Catholic Christian who can explain it at all. So let's try to explain it now. The Holy Trinity is one and the same God in three divine persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the first person of the Holy Trinity. God the Son is the second person of the Holy Trinity. God the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity. All three persons are one, but each is distinct. Let's see if I can better explain it with a few examples. St. Patrick used the Trinity in Ireland with a shamrock. He would point out that each of the three leaves of the shamrock were distinct, but that it was still only one shamrock. Consider the Smith family, who all live in one house. Most of us see the family as a single entity. The mortgage company will happily accept payment from any one of them. You can invite the whole family to dinner by asking any one of them. You can borrow from one of them and repay another, yet you can distinguish between them. They're distinct but not separate. Look at your hand. It has five fingers. Each finger is distinct but not separate. If your fingers were separate, you could take them off your hand. Despite the distinct fingers, It's still just one hand. I'm a father. I have several children. I'm a son. Contrary to popular belief, I didn't just slide out from under a rock. I had a real mom and dad. And I have a spirit called the soul, yet I'm only one Joe Sixpack. None of these examples are perfect. Indeed, none of them are even really very good. Like I said, the Holy Trinity is the greatest mystery of our faith. Even the great St. Augustine had trouble conveying the truth of the Holy Trinity. St. Augustine was one of the most brilliant minds the Church has ever produced. One day he was walking along the seashore. He was thinking of the mystery of the Trinity, trying to think of a way to explain it to the people in his sermons and in the catechisms he planned to write. Suddenly saw a child playing on the shore. The boy had a little hole in the sand, and he was taking water out of the sea with a large shell and pouring it into the hole. The sainted bishop watched the child for a while, then asked, What are you doing? The boy answered, I'm going to empty the sea into that hole I dug in the sand. St. Augustine smiled at the boy's childish ambition. That's impossible, he said. Don't you see that the ocean is much too large to fit into that hole? The child replied, It would be easier for me to do that than for you to understand the mystery of the Holy Trinity. It turned out that the child was an angel. St. Augustine was a quick learner. He stopped trying to fully understand the greatest of all mysteries. Humbly he bowed his head in faith and adored God by saying, Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Again, we can never fully understand how the three divine persons, although distinct, are one and the same God. This is a mystery we'll have to wait to fully understand when we go to be with God in glory, assuming we are not our place with him. Them. Him. Oh shucks. As you know, I don't like asking for your financial support. I always want a win-win situation whenever possible. Well, I've got a way for you to help this apostolate without you having to do anything you're not already doing. Everybody shops on Amazon. I've developed an affiliate relationship with Amazon. When you visit cantankerouscatholic.com and click on the Episodes page, blog page, or About the Show page, on the right-hand side of the page you'll see Amazon ads for Catholic books and merchandise. There's no price difference from Amazon's site, but if you click on something you're interested in and buy it, Amazon will pay me a small commission just for you clicking on that ad. It doesn't stop there either. Anytime you're on Amazon and find things you want to buy, send me the link to the items and I'll send you another link to click when you're ready to buy. You won't pay a dime more for the item, but Amazon will pay me a commission. That way, you can help to financially support this apostolate just by doing what you were going to do anyway. Remember, visit the episodes, blog, and about the show pages to find Catholic books and merchandise, and send me links to other things you want to buy on Amazon, and I'll send you links that will pay this apostolate a small commission. And I thank you in advance for your support the Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Jose Maria Escriva. He said, Love Our Lady, and she will obtain abundant grace to help you conquer in your daily struggle. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A pious old woman was seriously ill in bed. All her life, she had faithfully served God, and now she was about to die with the peace that only life in his service can give. But one thing worried her, and she talked to her priest about it. Father, if I arrive in heaven and stand before the great God, what is this ignorant old woman going to say to him? I was never in high society. I'm afraid I won't know how to open my mouth. The priest replied, don't worry. As soon as you find yourself before the throne of God, bow your head humbly and say, Praised be Jesus Christ, and you'll find out that from every corner of heaven it will re-echo now and forever. Amen. The whole purpose of your life is to praise God. If you pray to God often, you'll quite easily speak to Him with reverence. Always speak to God as if you're in His presence. Indeed, you are. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack,
0: the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.